Hi, Pat Moran from Healthier Money. I'm really excited. This is our first podcast with Healthier Money. We're going to focus on a variety of different things as we go through our various podcasts. But in particular today, I want to share with you a strategy that after being in the business for 30 years, I had my doubts. Uh, I didn't think it was necessarily going to work. But boy, was my mind changed as I really dug into this, did a lot of research. I've been in the financial services industry for 30 years. And when I stumbled upon this and meeting Kim and looked at the various aspects of what this can provide people, I really think it's a great opportunity for most people to have retirement planning, to be able to do things like uh, help with their business as far as ownership goes, help with retention with employees, do different things from legacy planning. I could go on and on and on, but the video will summarize many of the different things that I think are important. I know it's long, but this concept is not something that you're just going to jump into and understand overnight. But it's a great informational video to explain many of the things that we'd like to explore in our seven payments to retirement strategy or seven payments to financial success. Either way, it allows you to focus on making seven payments, being able to create the leverage that most people that have been ultra wealthy have been used for years to create wealth. And now we bring it down to a level that those with $150,000 in income for the last two years or a business with $750,000 in sales now have an opportunity to do what the ultra wealthy has been doing for years, but now you can do it for yourself. So really dig into this. Any questions or anything, obviously, you can go to Healthier Money and ask those, but I couldn't think of a better way to introduce this. And Kim Coulter is a legend in this business. He's been doing things with premium finance and insurance for years and years and years. So I couldn't think of a better person to start off with. Enjoy it. Hey, Kim, it's great to see you. I uh, wanted to pick up our conversation from last time. I know we touched on a few things. Um, we had just had a conversation briefly about peak life versus a flex life. And you had talked about the reasons why you may consider each and, uh, in particular, why are we doing peak life? Yeah, it's, it becomes a budgetary consideration for each individual participant. You know, the peak life product promises a retroactive guarantee return on the product of 1% mm -hmm. as compared with that of Flex Life, all right, which has a 2% retroactive guaranteed credit. You know, the Flex Life product translates into the additional benefit of a consumer or a participant in the program in the form of much smaller, or not, I shouldn't say much smaller, but Less. smaller interest payment obligations so that we eliminate the collateral. The model is based upon that 2% guarantee retroactively, okay? okay? So it has a smaller out-of-pocket interest payment because our guaranteed credit is greater. Okay. All right, the trade-off for that is because that 2% guarantee requires more cost, you know, for the carrier to budget for it, the trade-off is a smaller amount of tax-free income. Okay. And it's 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 not significant, but it is smaller nonetheless. Okay. So National Life Group recognized that and they came out and created a product called Peak Life which, you know, first and foremost, um, delivered more value to the consumer and the participant in the Insured Retirement Advantage platform um, in the form of higher tax-free income. And they did that in two ways. One, they reduced the compensation to you as the advisor. Which is fair. Uh, that's right. And number two, they reduced the retroactive guarantee in the product to 1% as opposed to FlexLife having 2%. Now, you do get 
considerably more tax-free income out of the peak life product because the COIs are smaller and their budgeting and reserving requirement are smaller for the 1% guarantee as opposed to, again, the 2% in flex life. But it still comes back full circle to being a primary budget budgetary consideration for the individual participant or consumer. Okay. And I, and I also, you know, as we're thinking this through, uh, uh, ethically, it seems like the peak life would probably be the best thing to do for the client. Yeah. Um, peak life also has one other additional consideration. It has a min- minimum face amount of $1 million. Okay. Whereas flex life does not. Right. You know, so there may be circumstances where, you know, we might not be able to get to a million dollars based on health considerations, ages of individuals, whatever the case may be, um, or just individual consideration. Uh, but flex life does have the convenience um, of having a smaller face amount requirement where peak life is a minimum of $1 million. And on the insured retirement platform, we still want to stick with that ideal barrier of a million up to $4 million worth of coverage, right? Yeah. So we wouldn't necessarily be able to finance a flex life if it was less or not? It's a, it's a case-by-case consideration okay. Okay. for us. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to go down to 100000 no. Right. You know, but if it was close enough um, in an individual circumstance to where, you know, we needed to go below the $1 million face amount because an individual participant, you know, or an individual consumer wanted to participate in the platform, but a million dollars was a little bit too high, but yet it's still, they still met our minimum income requirement of $150,000 a year, but the income, you know, uh, trade-off wasn't as great to them, and the out-of-pocket interest payment requirement was smaller on flex life as opposed to peak life. And for whatever reason, they didn't care about the death benefit. It was all about the acquisition and putting another leg on the retirement stool for tax-free income, you know, via the life insurance product itself. So if we needed to reduce the death benefit down to 900 or 800, we would do that on a case-by-case exception basis, you know, assuming that everything else is in line, it passes loan committee review, their income's in place, you know, we can justify entering into the transaction with them. Yeah, and I like that checks and balance because you're going to make sure it's right for the client. Right. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, if the, you know, premium finance is not suitable for everybody. Right. You know, it's not free insurance. There are obligations and responsibilities on behalf of every participant or borrower, if you will, in the transaction. It is not free insurance. Sure. There are obligations. Well, um, a couple of things that are interesting is, is since you and I did our first round of questions three or four weeks ago, things seemed a lot different. The market was higher, interest rates were lower. Talk about this craziness and potentially what is is the risk involved in this strategy because of what just recently has happened. Yeah, it's been an interesting dynamic. You know, historically, interest rates um, have had uh, a spike, you know, that, again, historically, you haven't seen over the last 24 months or as big a hike in 24 months as what we've experienced, coupled with, you know, the awful drop in the stock market in the last 30 days. Uh, You can put aside political uh, considerations or anything of that nature. I mean, the reality is we have a rising interest rate environment, although it's leveled off somewhat, Mm -hmm. coupled with a stock market that is, you know, going through wild gyrations. Um, You can set all that aside because I think the benefit and the advantage we built into the Insured Retirement Advantage platform was that everything was built and predicated upon a worst-case performance scenario for the product, 
and the individual consumer participating into it. Our primary goal, first and foremost, is not only to deliver enhanced buying power and increase benefits in the future, but more importantly, it's protecting that end consumer to make sure that they are suitable to be in the transaction and that in the event things don't perform as what we all hope they will, mm -hmm. we've still covered them from the standpoint of using the worst case mathematical performance scenario in the design of the platform. So, um, the and the risk that we touched upon last time is the fact that you potentially could get in a rising interest rate environment, which affects your loan payments. Yeah. Um, and then you could get in a period where you get the perfect storm that you're getting a market that's not doing anything. So you're getting a zero return on your policy, and you're getting an increased, you know, loan amount that you potentially have to pay. Um, is it best then to try to cap that loan or just ride it out? I know we talked about we need to get dispel the myth that everybody thinks if interest rates have gone up one uh, percent, my loan's automatically gone up one percent. That's right. not the case, but. What's the happy, what's the best solution? Yeah, it's actually a very good question. You know, and again, the, the thing that uh, I'm most proud of is the fact that we guarantee our consumers or our participants in the platform options. Okay. You know, a lot of institutions, financial lenders, uh, financial institutions, lenders, banks, et cetera, um, and I say that, you know, not for any other reason other than there are different types right, of sure. lending institutions out there. But, we get it. Um, we built everything around making sure that the consumer has options. Okay. You know, most banks and lenders in this space do not allow a client any other options to adjust for unforeseen situations, much like what we've encountered in the last 24 months. You know, we've got um, obviously a considerable amount of transactions on the books, being the largest funder in the space for the last four years. Um, at the end of the day, we do allow a client to make a free material change yeah, at any time that. during the first five years. Those changes could be inclusive of, you know, maybe reducing or skipping interest payments without us calling the loan. Uh, that may necessitate, you know, a borrower posting collateral at some point in time, albeit a very small amount. But at the same time, they do have the option to adjust their payment structure. Okay. And secondarily, if not more importantly, they also have the ability to manage what is easily the single greatest element of risk in a premium finance transaction, and that's the management of the loan balance. Uh, to that extent, we offer the client the individual or the opportunity to utilize caps or callers, if you will. A cap being, you know, exactly that. The consumer can tell us what he or she wants to cap their loan interest rate out uh, at for a period of long as five years. Um, you know, typically two years right now is the sweet spot in terms of cost, okay. and I would argue historical efficiency. Um, you know, if the consumer wants to cap their loan interest rate at 6%, and this is in these days' rates sure. and environment, if they wanted to cap their interest rate at 6%, they can do that for, again, going out as long as a period of five years. Or, you know, and if interest rates exceed that, they'll be capped at 6 However, if they, you know, guess wrong and they come back down, a cap offers the consumer the benefit of their rates either staying okay. where it's at or being reduced, depending on the lending institution, okay? Uh, a collar is exactly that. It's going to lock in uh, their loan interest rate for a specific period of time at a specific rate. Okay. So, again, to use my previous example, if the client wanted to utilize uh, a collar, if you will, 
both of those uh, two options are facilitated via the purchase of a swap, and I want to make sure that's not free. There right. is an additional cost. cost involved in it. Which is uh, going to affect that's the correct. performance and everything. Okay. That's correct. But if an individual becomes concerned about the interest rate in his or her transaction, the point being, again, they have options. You know, and that's not something that, that uh, we just say. It's actually on our website, okay. and it's in our premium finance app under our one free material change guarantee. The caller, again, can lock in a rate at, say, 6% okay. uh, for a period going out as long as five years. So if they wanted to lock in a 6% rate for five years, they could do that. Uh, the only challenge that I would offer uh, in the implementation of a caller would be simply that if they guess wrong, and interest rates did go back down. And by the way, let's keep we our fingers saw, crossed. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that just happen. Uh, they're oh, locked whoa. in. They're locked in on whatever that collared rate was that they okay. chose. Um, could you make the argument that really that kind of minutia uh, makes sense with larger loan values? Because it, the cost with your lower loan values is going to be much more significant. As opposed to a six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar loan, or am I missing the boat? No, I think it's an individual consideration okay. for each individual participant. Okay. If a person, you know, we're engaged in a, in a number of large nine figure transactions for some ultra wealthy people, okay. but their concerns and their considerations are no different from John and Mary Smith down the street that are, you know, a successful couple making more than one hundred and fifty thousand sure. dollars. Whatever concern that they have, it's of equal importance to them as it is to these individuals over here just on a different scale. You know, so again, I'll come back and simply say that these individuals over here deserve the same consideration and necessitate and need the same type of Absolutely. options to deal with their transaction yeah. just as the uber wealthy do. And that's the reason we also built out the platform. You know, the, the platform delivers additional value in the form of enhanced and increased buying power in terms of the death benefit, uh, as well as the enhanced and increased deliverance of tax-free income in the future. And as you also mentioned earlier, the living benefits provisions. Right. You know, those are value. The small case platform, the other value is that collateralization that you talked about. Yeah, we built, we built the entire model around uh, potentially the elimination of any need for additional collateral. That's Can important. I unequivocally guarantee it? The answer is no. All right. In the event a carrier was to raise their cost of insurance charges to the guaranteed maximum, and that's clearly an historical anomaly sure. relative to what's happened the last 200 years in the industry. Uh, but you know, in the interest of full disclosure, they could do that. You know, I've only seen that happen. I've been in January be 40 years in the business for me. Hmm. Um, forget my bushy head of hair. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I have seen three carriers do that um, in my four-decade-long career. So is it possible? Yes. Um, is it likely? No. And history certainly is on our side in that regard. But um, Are you concerned about maybe some of the carriers lowering their caps? Sure. What do you think that that does? Does it affect the strategy that much? Well, again, in the insured retirement advantage model, remember, we built the entire chassis around really the worst case performance scenario. That was the key to the whole thing. The second biggest advantage we have in the platform is we couple that thanks to you know, our capital source in the transaction with that of an amortized loan chassis. 
Uh, banks typically in this space do not like to offer amortization of their loans because that's where they make their money, in fairness to them, and every sure. institution deserves to make money. Um, in this particular case, because our primary goal was to deliver additional value to middle America, who are the primary participants and candidates for this platform, you know, um, are the president and CEO of, of Global One, who is our, our partner in the platform, agreed to allow us to couple you know, our loan, the amortized loan chassis, you know, with this entire transaction. And that's really what makes it sing. So as long as we're able to manage the loan interest rate in the transaction, which, again, I spoke to earlier relative mm -hmm. to the material change provisions, um, we're good, you know. So market has, performance is going to always sure. be up and down. It's going to be wild, albeit maybe not to the extent it's been the last 30 yeah, days. Yeah. But it's always going to be like this. You know, you and I were discussing my personal insurance earlier. Yeah. You know, my renewal date was November 1st. I got lucky and capped out for, you know, the fourth consecutive year in it. You know, the people that, you know, we worked on a renewal basis last week, they didn't benefit from the same type of, you know, double-digit earning. I mean, a lot of them are getting, you know, significantly less interest crediting, you know, than what they had hoped for, but they are still getting credit. Sure. Uh, and they do have the 1% guarantee to fall back on. And again, that was, was what designed. the basis of the math was, was built upon. Right. I think, uh, upon. and we maybe should explain caps just for a second so people understand what a cap rate is. You yeah. want to run it that or you want me to? Yeah, I, you, know, it's, you, you can do it as well. I mean, a cap, you know, as stipulated in the illustration, you know, is determined by the carrier. You know, and it's really a function of how much money they have to set aside out of each individual premium to fulfill their reserving for the guarantee that they're mm -hmm. promising in the contract itself. Any additional money left over is used to put into an option budget and how much money coupled with the cost of those options, mm -hmm. you know, is going to determine how each individual carrier arrives at their caps. Um, you know, the, the easiest way to describe the actual um, functionality or performance of the cap is simply this. Um, and I don't know how appropriate it would be, you know, to use a, a gambling analogy, if you will. But um, if you were, if you like to play blackjack, right, and you walked into a casino, and at one table here, if you put down your wager, and let's say it's five dollars, if you put down your five dollars and you win, then you win five more dollars. All right. Mm -hmm. If the dealer beats you, you lose your five dollars and you're back to zero, zero. Right. Over here, though, you have the index table. And if you put down your five dollars over here and you win, you're going to win a portion of whatever your amount that you could win is capped at. Let's say two dollars and fifty cents. All right. You're going to win two dollars and fifty cents. However, in the event the dealer beats you, you bust. All right. And you bet five dollars. You still have your five dollars. You just don't lose. So you're always going to share in a portion of the winnings, or in this case, as it relates to the IUL, a portion of the upside growth in order to totally eliminate the downside risk. So I'll ask you this. Which table would you play at? The one where you you do get all of the reward, if you guess right and play well, or the one where you never lose? 
Some people would say it's probably should have a little yeah. bit of both. Well, I guarantee but, you the line yeah, over yeah, here for the right. index table is never-ending because... 2008 again, is still embroiled, oh, people, especially you, with these last couple of five, weeks. You put down your $5? <laughs> You know, if your cap is two fifty, well, you've still got your five dollars plus two fifty. If you lose the next ten, you've still got your seven fifty. Right. right. That line is never ending. So the example would be if they had a cap rate of ten percent, you would participate up to ten percent of Correct. the growth of that index. Right. And if the index were to go down ten percent, zero is your hero. That's right. So the worst you've case got a guaranteed floor. The other thing I think is nice about cap rates and explaining is is it locks every year you don't give back yeah. what you you know what you made or lost and that's i think that's point. important it's an annual reset yeah that's so an excellent point it's more yeah. like the market does this i always tell people it's a staircase yeah. you know and what we're talking about a little yeah. bit easier to manage some well it takes the guessing out of it yeah. you know i know there are advisors out there that are big proponents of a multi-year allocation choice you know we're just not one of them you know? right um, Incidentally, the research is showing one year still is traditionally the best because yeah. well, of that lock. That's exactly right. It's what you just touched upon the you know the reset capability Absolutely. of locking in all prior gains, you know, or locking in gains and locking out losses. Right. You know that's the key, and that's one of the benefits of indexed universal life as compared with that of variable life, whether it's variable universal life or variable whole life. You know, if an individual wants to participate in a hundred percent of the gains related to market performance and their growth, by all means, they should buy it. Just understand that, you know, with all the, the gain of the reward comes all of the risk. The benefit and the beauty of indexed you well is, again, you're going to share in a great portion of the upside growth mm-hmm. potential and those gains in return for totally eliminating the downside risk. And people need to understand that those variable life products or things of that nature, there's going to be extra layers of cost that are going to make those policies inherently more expensive. So you're going to have to see some extra bump to make them work. Yeah, it's it's a suitability issue. Um, and up to every individual's risk tolerance. Right. You know, we don't offer and we don't utilize any variable life products in the insured retirement advantage platform because right. it's not designed for that particular market. It's a steady market. Eddie, sure. That's right. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I've gotten this question twice in the last couple of days. Why in the world would a bank participate in this? That's a great question. I get that, you know, probably (laughs) once a month. In the the early days, 20 years ago, I got it all the time, but um, it's a perfect hedge. You know, most banks turn around and actually loan money out to um, small business owners that are borrowing money for whatever the reason be. You know, maybe they need to purchase new equipment or, you know, they also loan money out to people wanting to buy uh, investment properties, whatever the case may be, uh, those loans come with risk and generally are unsecured. Not always, but, but sure. most of the time. Sure. Um, in this particular transaction, the bank is fully collateralized and has zero risk. So it becomes the perfect hedge for that particular lender to count on and know it's there that has no risk. The return is smaller but it's the perfect hedge to offset those riskier loans that the bank admittedly makes more money on, all right? But 
have that's more the risk. Purpose. That's exactly right. This offsets the riskier propositions, and at least the bank knows how much they can afford to lend out over here because they have a hedge over here. So it simply it's almost, that, a, it's almost that analogy you just drew up with the cap rate. That's right. We'll get some of this, just you know. Not that's exactly all of this. right. So well, they can determine how much they want to lend out, sure, because they have it hedged over here. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I know last time when we kind of wrapped up, one of the things that um, you really wanted to spend a little bit more time on and, and uh, really wanted to come back and talk about was the fact that many different type of professions and business owners and different people can use this product. I know we focused on just one small group. Why don't you talk about you know the many different opportunities that are out there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Um, yeah, specifically, uh, the platform is really designed for not only middle America, but um, small business owners. You know, and you and I are small business owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, three out of every four people in this country work for a small, small business. business. <laughs> you know, so at the end of the day, uh, and that's also inclusive of a lot of physicians. And a lot of attorneys, mm-hmm. right? And subject to uh, each individual small business owner or highly compensated individual's legal counsel, uh, as a part of our process, you know, if we're loaning money directly to a corporation, all right, and they've given us two years of tax returns, we've seen revenue, they're a suitable candidate to be in the transaction, they have sufficient revenue, which typically we look to see at least $750,000 a year in revenue. Um, you know, and the business owner has $150,000 a year in income. Uh, as long as they're a suitable candidate, then, you know, that's what the platform was built out to deliver the value to. But at the same time, you know, that could be Bob's muffler shop down the street. Sure. Or it could be, um, you know, Dr. Jones' medical practice. Or it could be Mr. Smith's legal practice. When we actually loan to that corporation, the day after we fund the policy on behalf of the insured, all right, we go back, and I say we, I want to, in the interest of full disclosure here, uh, make sure that I mention it's Global One, all right, and as a wholly owned subsidiary of Sonobis Bank, they're going to go back and file what's called a UCC1 filing against that company's assets to secure their loan, in addition to that of the cash value because it is a commercial loan. Uh, there are those legal professionals that would argue that um, it could provide some additional corporate asset protection in the form of that UCC1 filing, and specifically Sonobis Bank and Global One being in a first position against the company's assets. Um, I'm not going to take a position on that, but certainly there are legal professionals out there uh, that would suggest that that's an excellent form. Yeah, they're in first position. Corporate asset what protection. To say. That's correct. Else comes to the party later. Uh, it's an ancillary benefit, I'll argue, because uh, the business owner does have the option. Uh, if, say, for example, you wanted to buy uh, another agency down the street or another advisory firm, and you went over here to uh, Bank of So and So, and they agreed to loan you the money, provided you would allow that bank to place a UCC one filing against your corporation. Uh, so you go ahead and do that, uh, but. You know, at the end of the day, if you come back and, you know, another advisor says, well, Pat, you can do that, but Global One's got to have a first lien against your company's assets. Actually, we'll move, and again, I say we, it's Global One. Global One will move that lien back to a second 
or a third to a lot of that or a fourth or you know if you request that they remove the UCC1 filing against your company's assets after they funded the contract as long as Synovus and Global One are fully collateralized and they're securing the transaction they will do that for you so i would submit that it's an ancillary benefit sure that comes as you know a, a another benefit from the commercial lending chassis Someone That's asked, a big deal for a lot oh, of people. I, I, you know, and unfortunately, a lot. One of the big risks I always tell people is, our, it, we're a litigious society. Yep. It's lawyers, you know, love to sue, and people get sideways about the smallest things, and it blows up. And yeah, before you know it, it's a mess. It's up to each individual business owner's legal counsel. And I'm not an attorney, so I don't give legal advice. I'm not a CPA, and I don't give tax advice. Right. Uh, and neither do you. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there are the, a significant number of those two professions and professionals within those mm-hmm. professions that would suggest that this is at least a form of corporate asset protection. And that's a big deal for a small business owner, sure. which generally, you know, the value of their practice, I don't care if it's a doctor or a lawyer, the bulk of their net worth lies in the value of that business. Right. Why don't, why don't you protect it? I got asked this question. Um, what happens if, you know, I'm in this transaction uh, maybe three, four years, and we decide to sell our company? Uh, what happens? And then the other, the flip side I got was three or four years, uh, you know, I, I just did a business recently where there was three people involved. Uh, one of the people gets really sick or hurt mm-hmm. and can't, you know, work or, you know, no longer participate in the company. Uh, they kind of asked me some of those scenarios. Well, if you were being, if you were selling your business, mm-hmm. you know, you the borrower has options. Okay, uh, one they can pay off the loan. Right. All right, that's certainly an option. Uh, the entity purchasing, you know, that business that's being sold uh, could also agree to pay off a loan so that the borrower then and the participant in the platform would be able to take their, tra- sure. their transaction. Um, you can make that fundamental change you yeah, talked about. Yeah, I mean, but early. we will. I mean, we can also change borrowers as long as there's a nexus in the relationship. And clearly, one business buying another right. you know, would constitute a nexus between the two entities. But uh, if your question is really uh, built around uh, the query of could they change borrowers in the transaction for a variety of reasons, the answer is yes, provided too that that borrower also qualifies financially mm-hmm. and is a suitable candidate to be in the transaction. I think their question was if we made this five or ten year commitment and we sell our company four years from now we haven't fulfilled necessarily that what i told them was is in theory then you would presumably be getting some type of large cash infusion so you could pay off the loan you can continue to you know just make it yourself you're going to have a variety of different options you know uh, the world's not going to come to an end right and depending on the type of you know transaction that's entered into between the corporation acting as the borrower uh, and the individual receiving mm-hmm. the benefit if a split dollar agreement was implemented okay. in the transaction you know you can certainly make the argument that you know it would be a cash on cash swap if you will uh, the insured potentially could be subject to, you know, imputed interest income benefit. Well, let me restate that. Would be subject yeah. to imputed interest income benefits, at, you know, taxed at some percentage, whatever their tax bracket is at that time. But essentially, you're taking over all of the cash value in the policy unencumbered, which, again, under current tax law today, allows one to in, to access it on a tax-free basis, mm-hmm. whether it's today or at some point in the future. Right. Uh, but that's... 
it's a fair question, but the good thing from our side of it is is that if uh, an individual is looking to keep the transaction in force, I mean, you know, they did buy it for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, if their circumstances change in such a way that it requires, you know, a different borrower coming on for them, the answer is at least they have the option sure. to do so. You know, it's not that, you know, they're selling out, so therefore we have to unwind the transaction, surrender the policy, everybody goes on their own way. Right. That's not the case. Again, just as we talked about with uh, the one free material change guarantee mm-hmm. and borrowers having the ability to manage uh, their loan interest in the transaction, the same thing's applicable over here relative to borrowers. They have options. Right. I, you know, the, the flexibility and the options, I think, are very important right. for people to uh, understand. And also, you know, they're not going to have a situation where it blows up and they don't walk away with, right. you know, something. I think people fear that, you know, oh, I'm not going to get anything. And that's not true at all. Right. You know, it may be a reduced benefit. It may look differently, but there's still going to be inherent value right. there. Um on the premium finance, uh, it can be a very confusing conversation in some respects. So I like the fact that you've talked about uh, more the leverage, M- moving away from getting into the minutia of the premium finance and understand all you're doing is you're leveraging, amplifying the amount of benefits that you can get while not having to pay for that out-of-pocket dollar for dollar. Right. Let, let's assume, let's let's take your... your hypothesis there and run with it for a second. If an individual has committed uh, a premium amount uh, to put back for savings, then their whole motivation for buying an indexed universal law product from you was either the living benefits Mm -hmm. or the death benefit or the potential for tax-free distributions in the future under current tax law uh, or all of the above. All right. If their commitment to you for that particular transaction was, say, $25,000, all right. Well, if it was $25,000, you would ask them to consider doing just one thing. Take and consider recharacterizing that $25,000 out-of-pocket, after-tax premium commitment to become that of an interest payment so that in return you could fund their policy with not 25000 but 50000 Big deal. For at least 10 years. Yeah, and you've heard me make this analogy and this comment. You give me five, I'll give you ten at double the amount. You know, therein lies the ability and the and the benefit of leverage, if you will. It enhances and increases one's buying power for whatever the reason be. Again, maybe it's the living benefits, maybe it's the death benefit, maybe it's the potential for tax-free income in the future, or all of the above. Sure. If they'll simply consider your recommendation that they recharacterize whatever their out-of-pocket commitment was to you for the particular policy, you can fund it with double the amount of capital. And, and that, that translates into the additional benefit of sure. death benefits, living benefits, and also potential tax-free income. Yeah, that's that's huge. You yeah, know, and you, you do know. have flexibility. I, I, I want to keep coming back and harping on that because, you know, there are other programs out there that, you know, if you don't make 100% of your required contribution in the first five years, you know, they'll surrender your policy. Sure. And, and you're, that's just your tough luck. Right. You lose everything you put into it. Yeah, you know, and I just don't consider that uh, an honorable situation. 
Um, as a matter of fact, it's well, it's I'll, I'll just leave my comment at that, right. <laughs> you know. But in our particular transaction, that's why we have an advantage over everybody else. We give the consumer and the individual participant flexibility to deal with those unforeseen events because. Life happens. Sure. Stuff happens. And if you get into the transaction in the third or the fourth year, or God forbid, the fifth year, and something unforeseen and potentially devastating happens, you have options. Right. Whether it be to reduce or maybe skip the premium payment or the interest payment mm-hmm. in our transaction altogether. Whereas, you know, if you're just using that same out-of-pocket commitment to fund a life insurance policy, you know, this life insurance policy that they agreed to fund $25,000 a year with you, it can never catch up with the one that we're funding with 50000 That's right. But more importantly, if something happens, just like you do in a traditional life insurance policy, universal life, mm-hmm. you have the same options over here relative to your interest payment. You can reduce it. You potentially could even skip it. And if you needed to post collateral, say you needed to skip the payment for more than one year, you know, they have the option to do so. Maybe they become revenue light. Their business is still doing okay, but something unforeseen happened, maybe to their family member or to themselves individually or something related to the business. Mm-hmm. They just had a need to alter the transaction in some way. And in the Insured Retirement Advantage platform, that borrower and that participant has those options. Mm-hmm. You know, and last time I checked, we all running around looking for that deal, that discount or whatever, you know, so now... Pay, you know, why wouldn't you want to pay 50 cents on the dollar for yeah. something? It's, it's a no-brainer to me. You give me five, I'll give you ten at double the amount. There you go. I mean, enough said. And by the way, the longer you pay the interest payments, the, the greater the potential benefit is in the future. Again, right. whether it's the living benefits or it's the death benefit itself Just or magnifies. the tax-free income. I mean, ideally, we'd like to see you do 10 years. You know, we've got to have at least five, but if you'll go 10 or even longer than that, because you, know, you do have options. Just amplifies. Yeah. The greater the benefit and the greater the reward. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure someone's ever at, has asked you this. What if tax law changes? I know that a couple of times they've challenged the tax-free benefits of life insurance, and it didn't ultimately come to fruition. But yeah. does that concern you? Yeah, sure it does. I mean, at the end of the day, they've also attempted to tax the inside buildup of the cash value itself. Right. Um, you know, again, me not being an attorney. Um, you know, I don't give legal advice, but all we can do is look back and see what's happened historically. And you're right. Uh, certain members of Congress on a particular side of the aisle have raised that issue um, with the obvious intent to raise tax revenue. Sure. Uh, they have not been successful to this point. Uh, do I think they'll be successful in the future? You know, Pat, I mean, I, you and I have both been doing this a long time. Right. Um, I guess uh, we we can offer speculation. I don't believe they will, but you just don't know. Yeah. But you know. I can say this. Uh, if you were to ask me, do I believe the transactions that were on the books up till that point that legislation was passed, would it be grandfathered? I'd have to say yes. Yes. You know, historically, that would certainly support a yes answer, but you and I can't guarantee anything because, after all, it would involve Congress. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> and there true. is no guarantee where they're involved. 
Someone always said that if uh, if the IRS was a baseball player, they'd be in the Hall of Fame because they've gone like 15 for 17, yeah. 15 changes in 17 years or yeah. some craziness. Yeah, but I mean, you know, taxes you look, are just a fact of life. That's right. You look at the estate tax laws in this country. I mean, they've changed 39 times. You know, and again, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, I'm not going to state which side I'm on. But at the end of the day, they've both got their preferences, you know, and they've actually even done away with the estate tax laws four times. Um, You know, I don't know how much of a good luck benefit it is to have passed away during the times recently as 2010 to where there was no estate tax, you know, because it does involve somebody passing away. Uh, but from a financial perspective, yeah, you could ar- logically argue there was a benefit to that. But then once uh, the political party in power changed, you know, they brought it right back again. So sure. I would submit that it's always going to be, you know, a fluid situation, if you will. But as it stands today, based on history, you know, do I think the whole transaction would be grandfathered? Yes, I do. Could that change in the future? Sure. Your guess is as good as mine, but... Well, the last time I checked, side. the life insurance industry is kind of big, too. So yeah. I have a feeling they're lobbyists, but yeah. <laughs> be out in force. So. And thank you so much for listening to this first and inaugural episode of our podcast at Healthier Money here. My name is Kyle Payton. On behalf of Pat Moran, thank you so much. And if you have any questions about any of the products or services that you heard about or you're curious about, retirement strategies or investments or the things that Pat has done to help his clients, please reach out to us at pat at healthiermoney.com. That is P-A-T at healthiermoney.com or on all the socials at healthiermoney on Instagram and Facebook. 